0: 27 of the Virtual Couch. I'm your host Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner, and creator of the Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, also today, I want to, and I apologize, I'm going to get through um, some of the business uh, pretty quick and get right to the interview because actually the interview just happened and I wasn't going to release it today, um, but uh, I'll give you a little bit of background on that. But today we are sponsored, as always, by the fine folks at Eli's Extracts. Um, you can head over to Eli's, E L I S extracts.com and use coupon code VirtualCouch for 25% off your entire order of Eli's all natural organic shaving creams. Um, Featuring scented with essential oils. They're amazing. This morning, knowing that I was going to do a video recording, um, which I will tell you I'm not recording this intro video, but the interview I just did, I did a video. um, Yeah, use the Eli's Extracts product. The head is nice and shiny. Um, But but, okay, so today the reason I want to go ahead and and release this is I just uh, did a video interview with an author named Joshua Shea. And Joshua had actually reached out to me through the con- <clears throat> excuse me, contact at pathbackrecovery.com um, form on Pathback Recovery, the Pathback Recovery website. And, uh, and he had just shared a little bit of his story and asked if, um, if I might be interested in interviewing him. And um, I absolutely was. He and let me just the press release that went out with uh, his book today, his book launched, actually his book came out yesterday, January 10th. The book is called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. And it says, main author and former city official pens memoir about his descent into pornography addiction. And so Joshua, uh, you know, nice guy, very personable. Um, We just had a great discussion for about an hour um, talking about kind of his descent that led into his um, pornography, his pornography addiction, alcohol addiction, and eventual arrest and recovery, and then the writing of this book. The book is a memoir, and it's a very easy read. But I like um, Joshua's message, and he makes you know no qualms about. It. He says I am not a victim, and he and he is apologetic about um, the people that he's hurt. Um, but he just wants to start to continue to further this discussion that uh, we need to be talking about pornography um, when people have. I have to be honest, any um, pornography addiction, and we get to this at the end of the interview, and, and so I think that's why I'm a little bit fired up right now. But really, you know, any any pornography use, <clears throat> excuse me, any pornography use is uh, it's it's a coping mechanism. It is warping sexuality. It is uh, causing people to objectify others, and uh, and it is masking um, some dissatisfaction with uh, with career, with relationships. Uh, whatever it is. I mean, and that's somebody who's worked with close to a thousand individuals with uh, pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. Um, I know that that can be, that is my opinion, but I'm pretty passionate about it. And uh, I know other people may have other opinions that will differ, but I have yet to work with somebody who has been able to put pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior um, behind them and not felt an enormous amount of relief, an enormous amount of hope and promise and um, better relationships, better life, and uh, and so that is you know something that I am seeing on a daily basis. I know that, uh, and I wanted I was going to say this early on. Um, I know I do a lot of different things with my podcast. A lot of episodes are on hope and marriage and talking to um, kids, and um, and this is a I think it's the third interview or the third uh, podcast about pornography addiction, and and obviously that is a big. Passion project of mine to, you know, we have to further that dialogue. Um, because the pornography industry is not slowing down, um, it continues. this is a plague, and we are we are pretty much at the infancy. I know it's been around for a while, but just the access everywhere is just overwhelming. So we need to have these discussions early. Joshua talks a little bit about um, what that was like for him growing up and uh, but I just I want to you know we're going to get I'm going to give you these uh, these um, podcasts where we talk about this. And uh, and I really appreciate the feedback. I think I get more feedback from the parenting and the couple's communication, but I get more of the, man, I need help kind of feedback from people that are in the midst of pornography addiction, or they feel like they can't do anything about it, or they feel such guilt and shame. And so I think interviews like this one with Joshua are so important, um, because he talks about how, how, you know, of course, no one wants to get arrested and spend time in jail and go to rehabs. Um, but he makes a pretty interesting point there at some point where, uh, those, those policemen became, you know, his, his angels in disguise and that now having this more authentic, open, honest life is just, it's amazing. And there was a part in there where I know I was, I was kind of trying to hammer a point home in the interview, but, um, when people are at a point where they, you know, they are telling themselves they could stop and then they continue to look at pornography or, um, turn to compulsive sexual behavior, and then, okay, now next time, now I'm really gonna stop. Or, and as he kind of lays out a nice uh, narrative of uh, people who uh, just know that what they're doing can't continue. At those moments, that's that's where we need to start getting the change. Um, we often hear that people have to hit rock bottom. I'm a big fan of trying to avoid rock bottom. Not a big fan of hitting the rocks. I mean, I work with people every day that hit those rocks and then say, "Man, had I not, you know, had that happen, I wouldn't be the person I am today." But I got to tell you, I I really do believe that with more awareness that we can. Um, we can help people avoid that rock bottom or maybe there's not rocks at the bottom Maybe there's a nice trampoline or uh, some squishy foam material. I don't know. That's beside the point uh, But let's get to this interview with joshua um, The addiction nobody will talk about his website is recovering where or you can buy the book at amazon or barnes and noble And uh, of course as per usual thanks at the end of this to aurora florence for her song um, It's wonderful. So now on to joshua Okay, I have a little button that says a "recording," so I'm going to assume that that is correct. Uh, all right, hey uh, Joshua Shea, I was going to say welcome to the virtual couch, but you you are at home, so um, yep. but uh, but I guess in virtual terms, welcome to the couch. Right, thanks. I'm, I'm in my actual chair. Are you really? Okay, perfect. Me too. I need to sit back, as a matter of fact. But okay, so my my guest today is uh, Joshua Shea, and Joshua, um, we had a just a very brief kind of um, pre-interview interview, and and I you know I I kind of put it out there I've. Uh, I want to let you drive. So how about you in the introduction, if that's okay?
1: Well, my name is uh, Joshua Shea. I have just authored a book called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, how I let my pornography addiction hurt people and destroy relationships, uh, basically it's a memoir. Uh, Don't worry about statistics. Don't worry about too much uh, math or science in it. Basically telling the story of how I uh, let myself go when it came to my addictions, which included pornography and alcohol, and how I uh, began to just stop taking care of myself as my personal and professional lives imploded and how essentially this perfect storm came together. And I was quickly on a road to probably death uh, when ultimately the Maine State Police stepped in and said, hey, we found some underage pornography on your computer, which rocked my world but ultimately saved my life okay and that is a great place to start and i I want everybody
0: to you know to tune in i you know the more episodes i do and and i i interview a variety of people um i know there are some people who when they see that i am going to talk about pornography which is kind of um part of my uh my practice some people say you know hey that's uh that's not a problem for me but i love the fact that you your goal is to bring awareness your goal is to um, yeah, we're going to stay away from all the deep and heavy stats. We're not going to talk about modalities of treatment. Um, but we just want to bring awareness to your story. And I think that um, what is important as well is to give us a little bit of background. I mean, I, you know, in your book, you, you refer many times you want to make it clear that you're not a victim. And you also, uh, I love the phrase. You were a regional celebrity. So I mean, kind of tell us, set
1: the stage. Tell us a little bit about um, what you were doing and where you lived, and, and a little bit yeah. of what. Uh, like I said, I'm from Central Maine. Uh, I live in a city called Auburn, which is right next door to a city called Lewiston. Uh, by Maine standards, when you put the two of them together, you're looking at 80,000 people, which by Maine standards is pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided I was a newspaper writer and editor for years i was the editor of a newspaper a couple towns down okay and and i this in 2007 2008 when we had the housing crisis we lost about 30 percent of our advertising base overnight and i knew i knew we needed another product so i thought you know why can't my hometown why can't where i live now why can't we have one of those nice lifestyle magazines okay Uh, that some of your bigger cities have and P- portland being the biggest city in maine had one and i said you know this might be the thing that lifts up the spirits of people around here yeah. uh, so i started this magazine uh, with a close friend the the, the book itself kind of starts the day that i ran back into my close friend and pitched him the idea for the magazine that i was thinking about um The magazine exploded and took off like nothing I'd ever been a part of did. It was absolutely wonderful. But when something like that happens, I am a diagnosed bipolar, diagnosed with ESD. Something that massive happens to you, uh, you don't know exactly how to deal with it. It starts throwing off your levels. and so I began, you know, doing long, long hours. I started, everybody wanted to interview me and talk to me and show up at the Rotary Club. Uh, well, wait, so, what? Now, what was that rush like? I mean, did you, had that been, had you had well, that? As, well, I, I have, uh, mm-hmm. I have since been actually diagnosed with uh, likely having a narcissistic uh, disorder. Okay. So it was, it was friggin' awesome. Yeah. Right. Everybody yeah. wanted to pay attention to me. Everybody was putting me up on a pedestal. That's exactly, that's, and I talk a lot about this in the book. That's a lot of what I worked for in life. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really care about putting out a great magazine. I cared about putting out something that everybody said, Hey Josh, you're awesome.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so you were,
1: you were getting that it scratched and I'm curious. I was so, getting yeah. that scratched, but it mm-hmm. needed to keep going. So yeah. After after about a year, I decided to uh, launch a film festival that okay. we did we did in Central Maine. That quickly, within two, I think two or three years, Movie Maker Magazine had called it one of the twenty five coolest in the country. Wow! Uh, as far as film festivals go, uh, you know, I decided that you know you know what this town needs even more is more of me. So <laughs> I ran I ran for my uh, local city council and won that. Okay. Um, after a few months, I realized how much I hated being a politician, and mm. then I, re- I really ran just as a popularity contest. Okay, so it's, it's I kept adding things. I'm running a magazine. I'm running a film festival. I'm trying to be a city councilor. Hey, let me well, ask you. Then where where did you see that going? I mean, because that is that is a a good rapid question. Spin. No Pretty idea. Good. No idea. I just oh, okay. Up, up up up. Not pre- but, president of the United States or, no, or you no, know, running just, con maybe, or maybe. yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I once heard uh, Bill Murray say, uh, you know, if you want to be rich and famous, just try working on being rich mm. and see if that, that does it for you. Yeah. I was kind of the exact opposite. When I, I didn't care about being rich. I cared about being famous okay. and, or just having a lot of people throw their attention at me. Yeah. And I captured that in Central Maine. Um, I won a ton of different awards. I was, you know, highlighted a lot of different places. I was living this life, but once people walked away from me at the end of the day, once I went home, you know, it was Red Bull and tequila and pornography.
0: Okay. So, and what, tell me about what was your family situation at that point during this rise?
1: I, uh, I have been married for geez, 14, 15 years now. Uh, and, uh, My wife has always known that I've been very driven um, to succeed professionally. Um, And I think she was very happy for me when this happened. My children, when the magazine took off, this was back in 2009, uh, I think they were in second and sixth grade, perhaps, Uh, maybe maybe third and seventh. I don't remember exactly. Uh, But they were all very supportive of what I was doing. But as I started to buy into my own hype, Uh, you know, uh, there was less and less time for them. Every every evening I was out at some kind of networking event or some kind of uh, something happening out in the world uh, that I could be seen at or that I could push the magazine or film festival at. And it really, over time, uh, my relationships uh, really started to fall apart with them because even when I was home, I was sitting at this desk or at the kitchen table working on whatever professional thing was going to bring me more attention. So
0: and were, uh, you, were, were you aware? I mean, what, were they letting you
1: know, especially your wife that he, were, she thing? let, she let me know for a while. And okay. then when nothing changed, uh, she kind of stopped letting me know. And she even told me that she's, she kind of, Tuned out there towards the end because I couldn't be bothered to clean a dish or, or pick okay. up the garbage or anything because uh, you know I had three Facebook pages and at first it was one was a personal page and one was a professional page for this and one was a professional page for that and eventually they all just became one giant. You know, I was marketing myself all the time, just trying to get attention any way possible. And what happens over time is that, you know, over four or five years, you no longer have the hip new product. You just have another magazine. So the attention starts to disappear a little bit and, uh, you know, the advertising revenue starts to disappear a little bit. So suddenly the drinking you were doing to come down after a great day is eh, the drinking is starting to be a little more anxiety based because you don't know how you're paying the bills.
0: Sure. Okay. And,
1: and it's just, it's one of these things that sort of spiraled and, you know, it eventually led to a point where, uh two or three in the morning i would be talking to women in chat rooms Mm
0: -hmm.
2: okay
1: computer and unfortunately uh i got to the point where i didn't really care if somebody was 16 or 18 or 20 or, or 40 i didn't interview them about their age if they looked like they were old enough i'd talk to them and uh I started to really enjoy and, and get something out of manipulating them into doing things I wanted. Yeah. Mostly sexual. Sure. Um,
0: well, and let me, yeah, let me that stop. That was,
1: that was where the power was. It was sure. really about
0: power. Yeah. And, and your book, you know, starts off with a pretty powerful story that I want to kind of uh, talk about. Let me, before we even get there, um, what was, you know, we've talked about the, you know, the pornography addiction. What was, what was your first exposure? What age, you know? Um,
1: uh, I, and I I do uh, share this story in the book uh, mm. I remember probably seven eight nine years old uh, I went to my cousin's uh, summer camp and he had three penthouse magazines okay and I had seen you know naked ladies on HBO I might have even seen a Playboy I'm not sure but this was the first real exposure to hardcore pornography actual the act of sex sure. that i think i'd seen and it was it was like you know discovering you know the, the lost tomb of king tut this was something special yeah. uh, and it, it, it really reminds me the first time that i that i got drunk uh, it was just like i have found something here okay. and even though i was eight or nine years old i found something here and it was probably 5 years before i saw another uh, adult magazine or, or even longer for an adult video but just those five six minutes of seeing that at my cousin's camp, absolutely fixated.
0: Well, and I think I want to I want to bring I know I know that uh, I'm going to have my listeners, but you're going to bring a lot of new listeners who, to to um, the podcast and and there's a a thing that I love to share, and that is when we talk about this, the term of being sexualized young. In the old days, um, we talked about you know it was basically if someone had been molested was being sexualized, but now we know that early exposure to pornography in any kind of form um sexualizes and i think you're laying that out you know perfectly because from that point on then if you see your teacher you don't just see miss johnson you see a woman who has breasts and you know you start to right. sexualize right i mean was that the case
1: yes and there was also uh, i come from a very uh french catholic family okay so uh guilt and shame exactly i mean short of wearing a burqa, you know there was there was no nudity there was uh there was no talk of sex. Uh, that, that was my, that was my home growing up. Okay. Um, during when I was young, uh, the person who was my caregiver during the days while my parents were at work before I actually started elementary school, um, she had some real issues. Looking back now, I can see she had some real serious OCD issues mm-hmm. and, and like that. Uh, and there was a level of—I uh, don't like to call it abuse because I know people have been abused—but there was some uh, major uh, inappropriate okay. uh, sexual behavior. There was there was some there was some mental abuse going on there. Okay. So definitely um, boundaries and, being broken. Oh, yeah. boundaries being broken, and it was a it was night and day to what I had at home. So I would get, you know, I would get, uh, somebody or the family even talking about sex, being very open, uh, R rated movies being on TV. Uh, you know, just, and then at home it was a completely different story. So the two major places that I was being cared for when I was young, I was getting very conflicting stories Yeah. Sure. Um, pictures of what was appropriate and what wasn't. Uh, and I, how was I to know which one was right or wrong, or if one say, was yeah. right or wrong? If you had uh, the if you
0: had the kind of the guilt background, uh, especially in the home, it's not like you're going to bring up, hey, guess what? My caregiver t- told me about today. You know, it's what, what do you think about that? That wasn't at the dinner table discussion,
1: true? No, abs, abs, absolutely yeah. not. That was, you know, I, I could I could watch every Rambo movie, yeah. But if 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 you know a boob showed up on you know HBO, it was turn that off, turn that off. Okay. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, clearly there's something up about this that that they don't want me to see at home yeah. but then at the caregiver well heck it doesn't matter what's on tv and, and that's almost to be celebrated so just well, too to, big to conflicting yeah I mean, a huge plug for when uh, you know
0: working with your kids teenagers or whatever trying to go in there and uh, um, not immediately guilt shame or fix or judge we want we want uh, teenagers to be able to open up and and just kind of share their experience i know that can sound like a pipe dream Cause it's hard as a parent not to, you know, yeah, like turn that off. Right. I mean, but it would be better to kind of be able to have some sort of discussion, at, uh, You right. know, getting that plug in there. Right. Okay. So there's the early exposure then throughout high school. Um, were you, uh,
1: were you sexually active? Did you have girlfriends? I was, well, I, was I think I was very normal for a kid in the, you know, early to mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, I had. You know, girlfriends, I started to become sexual active around 16 years old, 17 years old. Uh, There was nothing, and I did like pornography. Uh, You know, uh, we didn't have the internet yet in my home, but there was a video store. I'm sure you remember those. Uh, I I managed a chain of video stores in uh, college. So, yeah, and that was, that was... And that
0: was, that I was, was the outlet at that time, right?
1: Right. At, at 14 years old, I found a video store that I could walk into uh, the back room that they had, yeah. and uh, they would not even bat an eyelash when I would come to the counter with a couple of uh, you know hardcore porn tapes. Wow! And if I didn't have a if I didn't have a girlfriend where um, I wasn't seeing somebody that's where my release came um and not a lot of talk about that i mean even at that time right i oh, mean there no wasn't no not at all not at all and uh i you know i i around the same age i found a place where i could buy beer wow and you know with the way america talked at that time i was like okay i gotta I really have to hide this beer thing i really have this is, could be a problem where the porn thing was just a hobby okay you know, almost all, and g- gave, it, gave it really no thought. And unfortunately, didn't give it a lot of thought straight up until after I got arrested and actually started getting help for it and looking at it.
0: Gotcha. Um, and then realizing I, I, the, yeah, the I, I had an alcohol
1: problem when I got arrested. Um, I just thought that my alcoholism caused me to have a lapse of judgment uh-huh. in what yeah. I was looking at. And it it really, it wasn't, I didn't go into uh inpatient uh sex uh, therapy rehab uh, until after a year after i was uh arrested okay Um, i first i immediately went into one for alcoholism i saw that here
0: in california i believe right yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. i was in i started in uh laguna beach i was there for about 10 days and then i spent another nine weeks in palm springs okay Uh, and just fantastic i i i Absolutely learned about uh, why I was an alcoholic and how that formed and what it what it was for me. But at the same time, I started to meet off campus with a sex addiction therapist, uh, just a brilliant guy named Stephen Wilson. Mm. And, uh, he, was, he was so helpful in starting to tap into some of those memories back at the babysitter and yeah. starting to have me recognize uh, how I was using porn as a surrogate. And not mm. just that, but how I was using those chat rooms as a surrogate for power in my own life. Okay. And
0: so that, that you good place to kind of jump back up at the beginning of your book. Um, you talk about an, an experience or an exchange with a woman. You, you, I mean, it, it brings some awareness to that. I mean, you even, I've been doing this for a long time, but even the part where you were, you were posing as what you tell the story and, and how did yeah. you, how were you able to do that? Let's get some awareness.
1: I, yeah, I, uh, I to not make this a how to video, right. but, uh, I, I found that uh, one of the genres of pornography I liked was the uh, people doing cam to cam stuff, uh, your your chat rooms with your kids. And I would notice the name of uh, what I thought was a website, a pornography website down in the corner and eventually i decided to go to that site and it was actually a one of these peer-to-peer cam sites uh where if you're talking to somebody and if you don't like who you're talking to you can hit the button that says next Mm -hmm. and it brings you to a new person and i went to this site and after about 10 minutes i realized that uh the women in the middle of the night, uh, most of them in their mid to late 20s, uh, would, were not stopping to talk to a guy who was in his late 30s, um, who gotcha. looked like me at the time, because yeah. I, could, I could see the type of guys that were on there. These were buff, good-looking guys. I wouldn't have stopped to talk to me if I was a 25-year-old woman. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what I noticed over time, though, was that the same guys kept popping up. And I was like, "This there," and just I was like, "Something's up with this. This is not the." This this says there's fifty thousand people online. I wouldn't see the same few guys. So I finally got one of these guys to stop. And I was just typing fast, like, wait, wait, you, there's no way you're real. There's no way you're real. And this guy explained to me, no, I'm not real. Uh, and and when, I agree. No, how to, I like, don't even, you don't even have to. Well, yeah. it's in your book, yeah. but yeah, but yeah, he just, he just said, here's how you do this. Yeah. Um, you can, you can circumvent your camera. Um, you can go find a video of a good looking guy and, uh, trust me nine out of 10 times girls will never figure it out. Wow. So I got the software, got the videos, got what I needed to do, started to do this. And uh, I was able to get women to stop. And at first it was was mostly just conversations, but uh, it started to lead to uh, more sexual places. And then um, I very quickly realized uh, that I wasn't doing this for sexual gratification purposes. I was doing this because, you know, I would see you and okay you look like the type of person who is not going to take off your shirt for me. Yeah. How can I get you to take your shirt off?
0: And I think me? that's where you started in the in the, I mean in the story in the book. I mean this is someone yeah. who they they were
1: they were at, what, an art uh, lover, she, an, an art dealer she yeah, she, was, was a, she was a photographer who yeah. uh, a 22, 23 year old girl who needed an operation, was trying to raise money for it. her Kickstarter stuff wasn't working, and I saw that as my opening to try to convince her to, you know take off her shirt. And I think I showed her the book where I push it a little bit, yeah. see her starting to push back, then I pull back. And meanwhile, you know, while I'm talking to her and she can't see me, obviously, because she's looking at a video, yeah. I'm off to the side. I've got half of my screen doing that. The other half of my screen, any little bit of information she gives me, I'm on the internet figuring out who the heck she really is. That's what blows me away because, you know, I
0: will say that the the stereotype is, because um, I have people, parents, when I'm working with teenagers in particular, where they Say no, my friends are online. They're real, and I want to validate that for my teenagers. I don't want them to feel like I'm not listening. But then the parent always says it's somebody. It's not who you see, and, and uh, they're living in a basement or whatever, right? And, and 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 meanwhile, um, somebody then it can be not the person they see. And it's that uh, parents' worst fear. Where where were you mining that data? Where I mean, you make it
1: like like I mentioned the book. She mentioned uh, her father was a professor at a at a university, and uh, she I mean she she was very careful about sharing information, as, as most were. But she mentioned the university that her father taught at. And that he had recently done some kind of uh, major thing with, with carbon isotopes, I think it was. I don't remember yeah. exactly. Uh, and I was able to type, you know, that university, carbon isotopes, and find out who this guy was immediately. So I found her through a little yeah. bit of information she gave me about her father. And that university was very open about, here's your staff bio. Wow. Um, everything I needed to know about them. And uh, so I was able to then work backward, find her Facebook page, find uh, a Tumblr she had, you know, figure out more about her. And then it's one of these things, you know, if I'm talking to you and I found your Facebook page that you're trying to hide and there are pictures of you riding horses and all of them, well, I can build a rapport if I start talking about how much I love horses. Suddenly, you feel closer to me.
0: Well, I think, and you had a point in the book there where you were talking about you know this particular thing you were trying to get her to do, and then you said you know what what you were a ballerina, right? And you knew yeah. that. And I, I thought she was wow, a
2: ballerina,
1: yeah. And then that was where she she gets excited, like holy cow, right. gets me, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's I mean it's it's your it's your catfishing. It's yeah. your you know. Absolute you know stereotypical grooming kind of thing, yeah, and uh, what happened with me was as I continued to do this and and I was also had the background of being an investigative reporter. Okay. I am very good at finding information, and I know where to find information quickly yeah. and how to link it from one thing to another. Uh, I'm also very good at just reading people, yeah uh, and telling people what they want to hear I'm an addict, that's what yeah. we do. we tell people yeah. what they want to hear yeah. Sure. Uh, So, um, you know, this was something that I kept doing and kept doing. And uh, usually it led to a a sexual place, or I tried to lead it there. And uh, it was a game. If I found a woman online and she was immediately like, let me start taking my clothes off for you, I didn't want that. That wasn't, that wasn't fun. That wasn't, that was not not a challenge. I wanted, I had, I wanted to try to achieve something because so much of my life was going to crap that if I could convince this person to bend to my will, the way that I used to convince everybody to bend to my will, I still had something. I still had something. And so I, uh, when I would get a, a woman to do this, I would take a screen capture. Mm. And at the very end I'd even take a you know thirty second video. And this was not for sexual gratification purposes. There's there's a world of porn out there for that. Sure. This, this was a con- this is more was, of a conquest, right? This was or a trophy. trophy. This was yeah. an absolute trophy. And I talk about it in the book a little bit later on where I became to I came to realize that in my office at my at the magazine that I was running, I had a wall of trophies and plaques and that's why I did it sure. was for the for the trophy for the conquest and once you get that what do you have you know you need the next conquest and so as I descended into the porn addiction into I wasn't taking my uh, psych meds okay I was sleeping about three hours a night I was mm-hmm. drinking three times a day uh, I was just it, I was not healthy it was it was going to very bad places very fast. Uh, thankfully, the uh, thankfully the police intervened because yeah. I don't know how many more months I would have uh, had and what the uh, what decisions I would have made and 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 how things would have rolled. I mean, at the time, it's scary as hell when they show up at your door. Sure. But now, almost four years later, I can look back and recognize that uh, you know it's it's almost cheesy to say, but it's like it was they are angels at my door. Okay. Uh, They really, really saved my life.
0: Was there any truth that sometimes you hear the, the cliche of someone, you know, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, not really caring at at some point about consequences or not thinking about them. Was there any part of you that anticipated at some point you would get caught or
1: wanted to get caught? Or is, you know, is that too cliche? I I knew that my life could not keep going the way it was. Okay. I knew that something was going to break. And I think that's important. I don't know. I don't know the, where it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned in the book, um, I saw their cars pull up front of my house. Yeah. And like a cheesy 70s cop movie, there's no such thing as an unmarked car. These were police cars. Sure. Uh, it was very obvious that the police showed up at my house. I did not know what it was for. When they stepped out of the car, I didn't immediately think, ah, it's because of that. Yeah. I knew it was bad because you don't get three and four you know, unmarked cars showing up at your house at one time. Yeah. Um, But I didn't know exactly what it was for, but I knew that the way my health was the way that things were going for me professionally, personally, uh, it was going down a bad, bad road. And what well, well, you said, I think I, as a therapist, I get to that. I,
0: I hear that in hindsight all the time where somebody says they don't know where it's going, but they know it can't keep up this way. And so did you have but, but did, were you having those moments where, OK, after, after uh, you get a trophy, you know, were you I'm not going to do this again or or was it what's next?
1: No, it was what's next, because okay. I wasn't struggling with addiction. I was fully into it. Yeah. But I wasn't struggling with it. I was embracing it. I was, like I said, I was drinking all the time. I was almost every evening. I was utilizing pornography, whether it was legal or whether it was these chat rooms, uh, you know, it was, I, again, I, my magazine started heading south business wise. I thought the best thing for me to do was to pull myself off my meds so mm. I could tap into my manic side. Yeah. because if I tapped into the manic side. I might save this whole thing. Um, you know, the, the pills, maybe they focused me, but they did this unending amount of energy that I had this creative energy, this drive. So if I pulled myself off of the pills, I could tap into that. Well, unfortunately that obviously didn't work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So it was a, uh, it was, it was just, it was a bad scene that I was not physically emotionally going to be able to keep going. Um, And And this is how it ended. I mean, statistically, I probably should have driven into a house uh, Mm. because I was drunk. Um, You look at the amount of time I spent on pornography versus drinking. It was a small percentage, but that's what got me. And something was going to get me. This is what it happened to be. And thankfully it was this because it showed me I really did have a problem in that area.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, and I want to, I want to kind of move on with your narrative, but I want to you know, you talk about awareness. I think when people get to that point where they, they are aware of it, it's, I'm not sure how it's going to end, but it can't keep up like this. I mean, that is the part where I, I wish that there's our public service announcement of, hey, at that point, just do me a solid and go talk with somebody, right? right. Uh, therapist, confidentiality, whatever, but, but at least go put a voice to this because I think people just, they just that moment, they just say, I know it's, it can't keep up, but they're not willing to do anything. True.
1: Well, no, exactly. It's I. I don't have the hour to go see a therapist. Exactly. I've seen, I've seen therapists off and on through the years. Okay. I never really had uh, a great therapist. Okay. I'd never been 100 honest with a therapist. I think that's huge, right? And I, yeah. And I was still, and I'll, I'll tell you what. And this is something I only came to about two years ago, and, and my therapist now, who's a wonderful woman, actually laughed at me, which is what I need. Okay. Uh, sh- I said to you, know what? I realized the other day. You don't have the you don't have the silver bullet. Oh gosh. Okay. I've been yeah. in therapy for so long. I'm waiting for you to give me the silver bullet. I'm waiting for you to give me the key. I'm waiting for you, whether it's a pill or whether yep. it's that one statement that unlocks the kingdom to my mind. Yep. I've been waiting for this. And I was in therapy off and on for 15 years, going back to being 20 years old yeah. and I never got that. And so a lot of it felt like a waste of time because I'm sitting here waiting for you to tell me this thing I need to hear or give me the special pill I need to have and it never came. And that was absolutely the faulty thinking on my end If that's Amen. what you're supposed to do. It's supposed yeah. to fix me where really it, you're a guide to letting me fix myself therapy yeah. is a DIY, is yeah, a DIY
0: we, project it is we find out like what we, we're trained to say okay tell me what you bring to the table I've got some expertise let me help you and guide you but guess what that requires work you nailed it I mean I had that experience um, a few years ago as well where a guy had been he's like yeah I don't even know why I'm here I've been through he had been through some pretty expensive group and individual and programs and and somebody had to convince them to come see me. And I, and that's why I said, I'm like, so what, what am I going to do different? Like, do I have some other, do I got a little chant or do I got, yeah, like I can give you an M M&M and M and turn it upside down and say the W is for, whoa, you know, these really work. Or I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do because it sounds like you're telling me I'm not really willing to do the work. Right. So I love that. I love that. And then the uh, quick plug as well. I love what you said earlier. Um, Zero productivity and lying to your therapist or not being completely open. I mean, that is just, but I know that's natural. I know it's weird to come in and talk to somebody you don't know and say, Hey, here's everything. But but therapists know when we're
1: being, when we, we can't force you to tell us. Right. But, and I think I, I probably speak for a lot of people who come in, you know, we're, Told as patients, you know, be honest, but you know, if I tell you oh. I'm feeling suicidal, yeah. I know you don't ever, I was of the belief, you don't ever tell a health professional you're feeling suicidal. You know, I'm not going to hit that button and set off those alarms because I'm going to lose control over this situation. Yeah, that's
0: a great point, and, I, and I think I tell that, you how I'm feeling.
1: Yeah, and I think the disclosure
0: not safe. Sure, and so and I that's a great point. And so I have a ton of therapists that listen to my podcast. Uh, therapists, um, yeah, no, hear what Joshua said. Get a little better with the disclosure because I I like to point out that you know the everybody thinks about those things. That is normal. And, and we can walk right up to that line and we can kind of say, all right, what do we want to do with this? But yeah, I, I don't want to somebody to think that if they even start to, halfway through the word suicide, I've got the button that locks the door, I'm calling the right. call. Yeah, or, or any of these kind of things. But I, no, I appreciate you. Yeah, I know we were talking earlier about, I don't really want to go into the modalities and stuff, but I love what you're sharing there because at some point during that whole run that you were on, um, now, if we want to get the message out to other people and they feel like, man, what I'm doing is heading somewhere, um, go to a therapist. Uh, be open and honest. You can you can interview a therapist ahead of time. You can tell them I'm worried if I say certain
2: things that you're going to
0: shut me down or whatever that is. It's you know it's your life, right? Um, okay. Uh, public service announcement uh, over there. Well, okay, so, yeah.
1: And the the other thing I'll say on that also is, and I just found this out a couple months ago from uh, one of the people who I work with now is uh, that at least in Maine, and I can't say if this is true everywhere, uh, if you are a uh, patient of a therapist, um, you can admit to looking at uh, pornography on a computer. And that is not a get the police on the telephone uh, uh, admission Uh uh, right away. And I, and I, I don't know that that would have changed anything for me because I wasn't in therapy at that time. I didn't really, I probably wouldn't have said anything, but for people who are, uh, you know, have a good relationship with their therapist for people yeah. who do trust them. Uh, I, in Maine, I was told, no, this is not a reportable offense and we can debate whether that should be or not. Right? Sure. Yeah. But, but, to have the safety of knowing you can tell somebody this and I have a photography problem. It's starting to head into what may be illegal territory. Yeah. Uh, I need help and not be afraid that when you leave the session, there's a police car out front, you know, it's yes. not an episode of to catch a predator. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's, so th- that again, that's a, that's a safe place kind of thing that needs to be nurtured. I think among yeah. people who, You know, have the thing that comes, you know, with pornography is great shame, great embarrassment. Something's wrong with me. Why would I tell anybody?
0: Right. Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I do work with that. It is is an addiction of um, isolation. And you know, and shame, and guilt, and and that sort of thing, right? Um, so, where do we go next? I mean, do you do you kind of do you want to fast forward to yeah, what what happened, what that the the effect that had on your family, what the last couple of years have been like? You you tell me because I love what you yeah, you're... No,
1: like I said, everything imploded. Uh, that, yeah. was Mar- that was March that was March twentieth, two thousand fourteen. Okay, um, and you know, I immediately yeah, you know, I called my wife from the police car uh, she was at work and I said, you know, I need you to go get $500. They tell me that's going to be my bail. I looked at pictures online. I didn't get into it, but I looked at pictures online, uh, that were underage. Don't worry. It wasn't little kids. Uh, to me, there's still a big difference between looking at someone who's a sexually developed 16 year old and a four year old, you know, Nine. still very illegal, very yeah. much crossing the line, but there's a difference. And, and, uh, you know, my wife said, okay, I'll, I'll come, uh, I'll get you. She came and picked me up at the jail. Um, we tried, I went to my office for a minute to tell them that this would be, there'd be something happening here soon. Uh, that was an hour after I was arrested, I was bailed out and went to my office. Two newspapers had already been there to try to find wow. out what was going on. The police sent a press release. Uh pretty much the moment I was arrested. So when my wife and I left my office and tried to go back to my house, there was a TV news van in front. Wow. So we had just kept on driving. I went to my parents' house. Uh, we went and picked up the kids from school. Uh, it really, it it changed our life in a blink of an eye. I mean, you, you hear about those cliches where suddenly everything is different. That was absolutely the case. Suddenly, everything was different. Um, I met with my lawyer, and thankfully, I, you know, have no had no record in the past, a model citizen. Um, there was clearly some addictive issues there, so he suggested I go off to rehab uh, for alcohol. Okay. And Which was absolutely smart because I, I knew I drank too much. I had no idea just what it was. I thought that I was going away for 28 days, just like the Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, 70 days later, uh, I, I left. So I, I was there for 10 weeks and uh, absolutely transformative. Uh, when I came home, I got into some real uh, deep therapy. That's where we started talking more about the pornography, more about my, uh, sexuality and and my views on it. Okay. Um, And after talking with my lawyer a bit more and the legal process is very slow, especially in a case like mine, where we were trying to get as much, uh, scientific information of what was going on. You know, I had, uh, different tests to be proven that I was a low risk for reoffense okay uh, that this you know uh, uh, trying to build a, a resume for myself and after talking with my uh, current therapist and my lawyer I was like okay well before we go and sit down for a plea bargain let's uh, let's have me go off to sex rehab uh, and you know let's see if there's something there and that was Mind blowing. Uh, when you say that, yeah, well, what do you? What comes to mind? What was well, the? Well, you know, it's it's it it it's so strange to me that you can put uh, thirty five or forty very critically broken people together, and you get a positive result. Mm. It just seems like it shouldn't work. But uh, I went off to uh, Sante Center for Healing in Texas, uh, and they had some brilliant. Uh, uh, therapists there uh in both the small groups and large groups uh they really they mixed us up you know i i learned just as much about myself from talking to some of the women who had eating disorders hmm. uh, as i did from talking to someone who also had a uh uh pornography addiction okay um, you know, and they had people of uh, also with, you know, drug and alcohol problems and putting us together and separating us into our specifics, but, you know, mixing in as a community and really cutting you off from the outside world. You know, you've got five minutes to talk on the phone uh, per day. You don't have television. You're eating what they tell you to eat, when they tell you to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it sounds like jail and at first it feels like it, Yeah, but when you start, digging and doing some of the work and getting down there and having those aha moments. And having those epiphanies, it's so so powerful when you start connecting the dots. And I I recognize that, especially having spent some time in jail with people who unfortunately have addictions or mental issues that they don't have the resources to get the kind of help I was able to. Yeah. Um. You know, I was able to spend from the day I was arrested to the day that I was sentenced. Uh, it was it was twenty two months. Wow. I was able to spend a tremendous amount of that time full time working on myself. Sure. And I'm so grateful for that experience to really, you know, just clear the fog and 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 see what was there and what shouldn't be there and what were the stories I told myself. And yeah. um, And I I like which ones which ones were true, which ones weren't true. And, And really it was it was being able to go away and disconnect and be in the you know i'm, I'm in maine we're, we're celebrating today that it's 40 degrees yeah you know, we're, we're thrilled Yeah, um, to go into a, a hot sweaty place like texas or palm springs with a bunch of strangers who uh i otherwise probably would have crossed the street to avoid two years earlier but to now to get to know them and know their stories on a deep level um, I like you're talking about that full-time introspective work though. I feel sometimes
0: handcuffed as a therapist of getting someone even once, maybe twice a week for an hour. And, and, and I, and sometimes I want to say, man, we got to do this more than just in my office. Right. But then people do get caught up in family and work and that sort of thing. And sometimes feel like it's just not possible.
1: Well, even just recently, I just switched from, uh, going, uh, once a week for an hour to going every other week for two hours. Okay. Because that second hour yeah. is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, still in my life is so powerful uh, that. We get to the 45-minute point. It's like, okay, breakthrough. Well, yeah. our time is up.
0: And it's funny you say that. I, I have now – I have a, a, a handful of clients that have started to do that exact thing. It's funny you bring that up um, the, every other week, two hours, um, because even as a therapist, sometimes you feel like you want to deliver in that 45, 50-minute period. And so if we can kind of find one thing and we leave and go, yeah, but then now they've got a week you know, of, of – right. Right, and, and and I was
1: I was finding myself I'd hit the car and be like I wanted to say this I wanted to say this absolutely this is the yeah. next thing and I it's it's funny because I could do an hour in the morning but I find I have to do two hours in the afternoon because that second hour is still so emotionally and mentally exhausting yeah. and if I if I do it in the morning I'm wrecked for the day. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Uh, I need yeah. to do it in the afternoon because I still I still have those aha moments. Uh, mm. I, I cherish those because it's like, you know, in one way I feel a little bit stupid that I hadn't figured out this piece of information a long time ago, but then it's like, he, here's another little silver bullet. Here's another little silver bullet. Here are the silver bullets I've been waiting for. They don't come from sitting in a chair across from somebody who's got some diplomas on his wall and just waiting for him to tell me what the deal is. If you want therapy to work... You got to get in there and do the hard work, and that's where you're going to see those little silver bullets. Let me ask you: Are there some things that you took away from that
0: inpatient treatment in Texas that that you know? If do people ask you, "Hey, give me some advice," or or what would you tell somebody that's you know at that moment where they aren't sure if
1: they have a problem or don't have a problem? Some well, kind of uh, if, you, if you're, I mean, if, if it gets the point that you're going to inpatient rehab, um, you're going either because you know you have a problem and you want to address it, um, you're, or the legal system is making you go, mm-hmm. or somebody in your family is making you go. And, you know, if mommy and daddy cut you off money-wise, you don't have money for your drugs, so you'll go play along. Sure. And you'll see all three of those groups of people the people who are in those groups that don't really want to be there, they don't last very long. Okay. And those people who are serious tend to end up congregating together and building strong bonds together. I I mentioned in the book uh, that I heard many times that rehab is, is like being in a foxhole and that you're with very different people for a very short amount of time in a very intense situation. And you can't quite explain it to anybody who wasn't there. And afterwards, You may try to remain friends, but it's hard because you are such different people in real life, but you're all stuck in this one little spot experiencing this amazing transformation. And uh, the ones who I have kept in touch with and the ones who I was closest to, we have success stories. Mm. I can tell you plenty of non-success stories, but they weren't people who were truly ready for uh, inpatient rehab. And had you sent me there at 27 or 28 years old and said you have a pornography problem or you have a drinking problem, Mm. which I did have at that time. I wouldn't have lasted more than two or three weeks. It's something you really need to want. You need to work it. You need to take it seriously and recognize that just as much uh, healing takes place outside of the therapy room when you're sitting and having dinner with a friend yeah. or just having, you know, sitting outside at night talking to a friend. Um Well, I think that's the point. You bring up a good point. I
0: know that we often say people have to hit the rock bottom before they're going to do anything. And I think that we need to start. And that's why I love your, you, when we were talking earlier about it's awareness is I just want to at least start to get the dialogue out there a little more for people that maybe are, I hear this all the time, casual pornography users. It's not it's not doing anything to me. But meanwhile, it is kind of starting to warp the sexuality. It is starting to amp up to maybe more and more things. It is, you know, uh, I, and I was
1: curious. Well, you go, because I've got a, another there's, there's There's no reason you ever actually have to look at pornography. Okay, thank you. Okay, there's there we go. no reason you actually have to drink. Okay. There's no reason you ever actually have to gamble. Dang. But we do this to deal with other problems. That's right. I mean, we got to address those yeah. other problems. Yeah. That that all of those side effects of numbing. All those are. Those are all just things to numb you. Yep.
2: Those Coping mechanisms. Yeah. Checking that's, in, all, that's all. That's
1: yeah. all they are. And uh, you know, I don't understand. I, I'm I'm not a gambling addict. I go to a casino and I lose forty dollars. I get angry and storm out of there. Sure. Uh, you know, I I I love I love chocolate cake, but. I would eat, you know, I don't eat three or four pieces. I eat one, but I can understand how someone with a food addiction does eat three or four pieces. Absolutely, I understand how that guy in the casino is betting thousands of dollars on the roll of a dice because addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. And
0: we're finally getting the word out that, yeah, but no, there is casual pornography use is not, it is not, you know, it is not non-effective to one's life. And, and let's look deeper. That means there's probably some job dissatisfaction. There's not a, not a secure attachment friendship. Your marriage probably isn't that. Let's go hit those things right now, right?
1: right? right. And I was a little bit of all of them.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: I, I had so many little things happening there where, you know, it's – it's completely easier to spend 15 minutes with a porn site when you're as busy as I was yeah. than to spend some real time developing intimacy and, and actually, you know, being with, with with my wife. Just I can do it like this. I can satisfy myself real fast, get right back to work, uh, keep working that way. When it comes to, you know. Pornography. Nobody on the screens ever going to say no. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be want, vulnerable. You're not going to no, get rejected. No, what, what do I want? Do, do I want somebody who's a blonde woman tonight? Do I want somebody you know who is wearing a schoolgirl outfit? Whatever I want tonight. Well, here's the search bar. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's you know there's it's a never ending supply and it's always new. You know yeah. I don't know people who use the same pornography twice very often.
0: Yeah,
2: which is um, yeah, which
1: is part of the problem. And I think we talked
0: earlier, and I've done a podcast on this Coolidge effect where you know, the brain starts to, you know, need more and more dopamine, which actually zaps the dopamine receptors. And so we, people start to amp up and go to harder and harder things. Right. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Uh, let's kind of talk a little bit more. Um, your book just came out
1: yesterday. Yeah. Officially, I guess, uh, it starts, started shipping yesterday. Nice. I oh, I guess that's, we should say that's how, say today, that's how a book comes out these days.
0: Okay. So on the 10th, uh, January 10th is when it started shipping. Yeah. Um, where can people find your book? Uh,
1: well, uh, it, a million places apparently cause I just searched this morning, nice. but, uh, the two big places are obviously Amazon and, uh, barnesandnoble.com Perfect. Uh, you can type in my name, Joshua Shea, or you can type in the addiction. Nobody will talk about, Okay. Uh, and you'll, you'll find it there. Tell, um, me about you, tell me about your website. So you've got recoveringpornaddict.com. What's What's yeah, there? I decide, Well, I decided uh, during the summer when I was in the very final stages of the book and it was moving over to a publisher that uh, what I wrote was a memoir. It, this the you know yeah. the book that you're, you're going to read is really my story and my story day in and day out and how I screwed up my business and how I screwed up my relationships. Um, you know, it's it's not a heavy tome of uh, statistics and medical yeah, yeah, data. Yeah, very very easy. It's, very, my, it's my story. Yeah. But I realized that somebody who was going to look at this book or maybe wanted to learn a little bit more or wanted to delve a little bit deeper, uh, what would be a resource that I could provide? So I opened up recoveringpornaddict.com. Uh, I usually put one or two blog postings up every week for myself uh often one will be memoir based story about myself and one will be resource based okay um, or a little bit of both i just put one up about how while my whole uh my whole mindset right now is uh, pornography addiction. You know, I have to remind myself every day that I have just as bad an alcohol addiction.
2: Yeah. yeah. And
1: truthfully, you know, a, a Sunday afternoon rolls around and the Patriots are on TV. You know, I haven't had a drink in almost four years and mm-hmm. I still immediately get the taste of yeah. a fantastic IPA in my mouth. You know, almost like a, a Pavlov dog salivating. Yeah. It literally literally the the trigger, right? Yeah. At, sure. Well, and many. I was in an airport two years Years ago, I hadn't been in one. Uh, this was actually when I was going off to uh, rehab in uh, Texas. And I had not been in an airport sober in probably 20 years. Wow. And I, I, never, I never associated flying with drinking or airports with drinking. I went into that uh, airport. I had been sober for about 18 months at the time. And I saw a bar there. And I, I went back to what one of my alcohol counselors said, which is, you know, stand up and walk away. I love it. Every time anytime you think you're gonna drink, go sit over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's I I had to get up, go three gates down, sit over there. I could still see this this the board when my flight was leaving, but you know, flying was a trigger. Who knew? Right, sure. And and I still struggle with that every day. Um, so that's something that would be on that website where while my book does talk about my alcoholism and the site. The site is mainly uh, porn addiction, but you know my story is also that I have a pretty good drinking problem and yeah. uh, I have to take care of that. Uh, there are a lot of resources if somebody's looking for a rehab. Okay. Uh, why, why I thought rehab worked for me. Um, we're building a nice little following uh, of people who are also struggling and, and working. Uh, so it's 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 a place that I, you know I like to visit it once or twice a day just to see who's checked in, who's talking, and, and if we can support each other. it's a, you know. Can I, let me, can I ask you one before I let you go? And I also want to, you've got a great quote in the press release
0: where, and then maybe you can go here and then I'll, I'll, I want to ask you one more question. But you talk about pornography addiction isn't something suffered only by? What did you do for the quote?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, the exact quote is, you know, it's, it's it's not something that's only suffered by like 19 and 20-year-old guys who have never kissed a girl who live yeah. in their mom's basement. Yeah, And I think that's what, People believe, and yeah. like I so said, while I'm not a big stats guy, I just saw the other day that one third of men between 18 and 30 think they may have a porn addiction. You know, one third, one out of every three guys thinks they may have a porn addiction. Yeah, that's that's yeah. disturbing. And if, you know, we can talk about all of the other addictions out there and all the other social ills. If we don't start dealing with this now those 18- to 30-year-old guys are going to be 45- to 60-year-old guys. Absolutely. They're going to be 75- to 90-year-old guys. And in 50 years, what are those kids going to be? What are the kids back then going to be like? Because we talk about something like, and I don't want to compare it on a physical basis, but like the opioid crisis. Sure. Well, you can watch episodes of Dragnet from the late 60s where they're dealing with heroin. Yeah. You can go back and listening to Eminem 25 years ago where he's talking about Vicodin abuse. Uh, the opioid crisis isn't new, folks. Yeah. Uh, sexual harassment in the workplace didn't just start happening six months ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bullying didn't just start happening 10 months ago or 10 years ago. We come to all of these causes and these addictions and social things so late. And I know I'm just one guy, but if I can get out there and say, hey, porn addiction, the internet's not going anywhere. Sexuality isn't going anywhere we need to start talking about porn addiction now because if we wait 10 years or 20 years oh our society is going to be a mess no you you are preaching
0: it i mean i i, I that is my stump speech of all i mean having done this work for a long time i've worked with over a thousand guys with pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior um yeah it is it is a plague It is, it is not going anywhere so uh um, yeah, we are we are at the beginning. So I appreciate that, that you share that. Can I ask you one thing? The thing that I find that comes up that a lot of people don't recognize not that a, a lot of the men I work with don't recognize as big of a problem is um just pure objectification of women. So it's like the, you know, instead of, of looking at a woman and just seeing her as a woman, but then looking at the body parts, the whatever, you know, and there's braces like eye bouncing, there's oogling, there's you know, but objectification. Um, was that ever a problem for you, or was that brought up in the inpatient treatment, where you know people are just constantly looking at the parts of
1: women? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I never recognized I did, okay, but I absolutely did. One yeah. of the early behaviors uh, that I, I had pointed out to me was that when I was watching a movie or any movie, I'd see, okay, who's that actress? Okay, well, when I get home, I've got to go to Mr. Skin or I've got to go to one of these other celebrity websites and find out, has that woman done a nude scene somewhere? Right. Yeah. And that was my brain was hardwired for 20 years to do that.
0: Yeah. And I think when I'm talking to a lot of people, they don't even recognize that's one of those things. I think that I'm trying to do a little more awareness around is is that, you know, we can work on that now. You know, it's a it's an awareness exercise walking by a woman and then, you know, look at her face, you know, look at her as a someone's daughter, a child of God, whatever
1: it takes. Right. What I what I discovered was that. I didn't look women in the eyes, yeah. because I feared they could read my mind. Gotcha. Okay. If I'm looking at you, you know, I, I, I'm I'm looking you in the face. I don't want you to know that I think you're beautiful, or right. I I you know I'm very insecure about talking to you, or I I'll I'll look away, or I'll look at your parts. Yep. But I'm not going to look you in the face, and that's I mean I still my wife laughs sometimes where uh, she can tell I still struggle to look at a waitress in the eye. Yeah. Because I feel like you looking at me in the eye, and not not just women, mostly women, but not just you look at me in the eye and I think you're reading my mind. And And that's where the insecurity I'm okay with it it now, but back then I didn't want anybody to go into here. Yeah, sure. That was a place I was hiding way too much.
0: Yeah. Um well okay, uh, I know you you have a lot of uh things coming up, interviews, uh, you talked about some TV. Yep. I really appreciate you taking the time. I really
1: do. Um and I, I appreciate you giving this to me, you know. This is one of those things that uh I I love promotion. I love I have an entrepreneurial side. Um and I This time I want to get out there and help people. And I have no idea how to do this. So you allowing somebody like me who is, you know, just entering into this area, who hopefully I can make a difference moving forward. You know, you work with people one on one. Hopefully I can get some of those people who are just walking along on the street who think anybody who looks at porn is is horrible. Yeah. I want to start waking some of them up and you allowing somebody like me to come on the show is is huge. And I really appreciate
0: it. No, I, you've been wonderful. And it's funny, I'm the world's worst uh, promoter at times because I don't want people to think that's all I'm about. But I mean, I, I have a online program, the path back, which is a, you know, it's a, you're selling today, right? Exactly. But it's, it's all about that has been years in the making for me of, of it's, you know, videos and 40 something videos and workbook. And it's all about, pornography, addiction, and compulsive sexual behavior. And basically it is how to reclaim a, a, you know, purpose-driven meaningful life so that we don't have to turn back to those behaviors. So I, I I'm grateful. I'll, I'll plug your site. Um, I'll put that on mine, uh, the recovering appreciate porn addict that. and, uh, and the book is, is yeah, it's, it's not a dry read. It's, 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 uh, it is a memoir and, and a narrative and, and, uh, and it's, I really appreciate your honesty. That's so big. I mean, I work with people all the time that will get to the point where they're honest, but they're not about to go the next level and, and kind of put themselves out there. Um, cause you'll, I'm, you know,
1: you'll get some people that'll say various things, right. But well, you're yeah. going to help a lot of people though. I'll tell you at the time, I hated the fact that all of my skeletons are on the front page or on TV news, I but I look at it now and go, you know what? I don't have anything to hide that. And isn't that an yeah, amazing that's, feeling? That's freeing. Yeah. And so I'll go out there and for everybody who has something to hide and I understand why they do. And yeah. I understand the shame and embarrassment. I still carry it. But this is something that, thankfully, I've been put into a position where I can share my story openly because it was shared for me. Yeah, right. Exactly. I have to say this because uh, I'm going to publish the uh,
0: the video of this on my personal or my Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Facebook page. Um, and then the audio will go out on the virtual couch. But um, you, I meant to say that you were always on a nice roll, but your dog has been amazing um, walking around in the background, jumping up on uh. your bed. Um, I, I got it. I can't lie. I was hoping that at some point your dog would do something, you know, uh, maybe go to the bathroom or you know, something like that, just so that we get have some sort of viral yeah. video, but I just want you to know all is well. Behind yeah. It. Well, I think there's, uh, there's some going out that needs to happen here. Really. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Joshua Shea, the book is the addiction. Nobody will talk about. Um, you can find it at, on amazon.com barnes and his website is recovering I am so grateful. Best of luck in promoting this. And I'm sure that you and I will talk again. I hope so, thank you okay, Thanks a lot, Joshua Okay, bye-bye Bye
3: Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the mirror me- Push aside the things that